0: previously on the twist cast last time on the twist cast
1: we talked about e3 and all the big announcements as far as superhero video games were concerned not too much but some interesting stuff coming out
2: yeah still some stuff missing but i'm sure we'll get that at a later time
0: yep all right so everybody uh tonight is the big night that we have been alluding to for uh quite some time now uh very excited to bring on our most esteemed guest uh mr stephen Sheamus. um would you uh, care to introduce yourself and uh,
3: plug away? Sure. How you doing, fellas? Uh, I am Stephen Sheamus. I am the president of Ace Universe. We run the Ace Comic-Con festivals. Uh, before that, uh, I ran a lot of the Wizard World shows for almost 20 years. So I've actually been a showrunner for almost 200 comic cons. So I, I think hope. I think I have I think I have the record. I'm not
1: 100% sure, <laughs> but I think I have the record.
2: It's probably it's probably it. <laughs> I'm
3: close I'm close. And I'm not at the top, I'm in the top 2 or 3. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sure. That's impressive. Wow.
2: Thanks. So I think we're just going to we're just going to ask some questions and have some conversation. Sure. Some some will be about cons, some will just be about stuff. Uh no and then when we're when we're about to wrap up, we'll just do a, a lightning round of questions. It's just basically this or that type of thing it'll be fun okay uh, i'll try to be ready for it <laughs>
1: let's see let's so, see what uh, you guys
2: got so we'll uh go ahead and kick, I'll let jesse kick things off
1: yeah so we'll start off with just something real simple just easier our ways in here um so what was like the first comic that you remember reading or at least like the first one that had like a major impact on you
3: i i remember um batman the dark knight returns Th- there were there were three books out at or around the same time that mm-hmm. were ridiculously popular. One of them seems to get left out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Batman Dark Knight Returns, even back when it came out, was absolutely on fire. I mean, it was, yeah. it was sold out everywhere when it came out. Uh, same thing with Watchmen. Yeah. And there was oh, a third title, Green Arrow Longbow Hunters.
2: And oh, for yeah. whatever
3: reason, that book has not sort of been put up in the upper echelon of the other two. But at the time... Those were the three golden standards. And what was interesting is those were all DC comics. Yeah, true. (laughs) It it really wasn't until Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane and Liefeld started really working on the Marvel stuff, uh, Spider-Man, X-Men and X-Force, that a lot of that stuff sort of shifted to to those books. Um, But my I, I just remember the craze with Dark Knight, Watchmen and
1: Longbow Hunters. Yeah. Um, makes sense. And I guess it makes sense that um, Longbow got a little bit overshadowed. I mean, you're talking about Watchmen who like really redefine things and the Dark Knight, which I mean, that's such a pivotal story that it makes sense. It's a pity, but it makes
2: sense. You know, it's funny because uh, in Arrow, they started to allude to Longbow Hunters for just a little bit. It was yeah. like a brief storyline. It was like it, it came and went. And I was like, oh man, maybe, maybe people will learn about this. And then it's like, no, <laughs> it right. just kind of yeah. just, yeah. You know, and I
3: always, you know, even when I was running the shows, I always loved bringing Mike Grell in um, and and maybe it was sort of a personal preference of mine. I always love having Mike Grell at the shows. I, I don't think he got enough credit for how great the longbow hunter was at the time. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the character that green arrow didn't really, people, people didn't really see on the screen until many, many years later. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was, those were, those were the three books at the time.
2: Yeah. So like when you're, when you're looking at some of this stuff, I mean, you've done a lot of cons and, you know, you have, you have uh, a show taking a break um, where you talk about collectibles and and issues and stuff like that. It's a very fun show uh, if you haven't checked it out yet. Thank you. Uh, So do you like realize when certain issues and collectibles are going to be like really hot commodities? And, and like, if you do, like, when do you recommend people like go and grab and grade those items? So, you know,
3: back back when I first started collecting, I don't want to say it wasn't very hard, but there wasn't there weren't that many titles out. Right. I mean, you had the big titles, you had X-Men, you had Batman, you had Superman, Spider-Man. You didn't have the kind of diversity and selection that you have today where you have, you know, probably well over a thousand choices a month now. You just Mm -hmm. didn't have that back then. So it was sort of like your staples of, Oh, Todd McFarlane's working on Spider-Man and the Hulk. Okay. We need to buy those books. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Jim Lee is working on X-Men, you know, we need to buy those books. It was sort of a very simple formula today. It's much more difficult because, you know, when you, you know, almost every week you're seeing an article on deadline about a new Netflix show, a new Mm -hmm. Amazon prime show, a new Hulu show. And Marvel and DC, in terms of media, are closed for business, right? Because everything DC is going on HBO Max or Warner Brothers or film. It's not going anywhere else. Yep. All the Marvel stuff is going to MCU or Disney+. Plus. So what is Netflix doing? What is Amazon Prime doing? What is Hulu doing? You know, what are these other networks doing? And they're spending... not millions or tens of millions they're spending billions of dollars on these franchisers whether it's jupiter's legacy whether it's sweet tooth uh, old guard you know a uh, warrior nun invincible. you know yeah. invincible and you know and then you're seeing movies that are in production like ball and chain and ally garza is a good friend of mine and it's like you know dwayne the rock johnson is starring in in, in ball and chain and, and it's an <laughs> ally garza book from from 22 years ago right <laughs> yes. that 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 was worth 50 cents or a dollar and then it gets announced and now these books are 150, $200, right? Yeah. So, so it's not like people have ball and chain books laying around somewhere, you know, gathering dust. They're just, you know, they're in quarter bins or they've been tossed or whatever. So, um, so I I think, I think that the best thing to do is to keep your eye on, you know, what, you know, what Amazon and, and Hulu. And then obviously when you have series like Loki out, and they introduce Lady yep. Loki and some of these other characters. Winter Soldier. You know when they're introducing these new characters. Now that Anthony Mackie is the Falcon, uh, uh, now becomes Captain America. Mm-hmm. All the books where where he's Captain America, those the Sam Wilson Captain America have
2: exploded in value,
3: right? Yeah. So so that that's kind of what you have to pay attention to.
2: That, so, so it's it's funny because uh, like I was looking to get the compendium of Invincible before it before the show came out and it was like, you know, 35, 40 bucks. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. I'll just grab that. And I just forgot it was on, it's on my Amazon wish list. I just completely <laughs> forgot. I Can't go back to <laughs> check. It is a hundred and like $30 and it's completely out of stock. And then like, so I was doing a, uh, uh we're doing a, a giveaway with our, our friends from another show. We're doing a uh, moon night giveaways. And I took uh, pictures because the other guys are a huge moon night fan, just like me. And I take pictures of like some of my singles and I'm sending them to him and I send him my Moon Knight number one from like 2005. And he's like, dude, that's fetching a pretty penny right now. And I'm sure it's only going to get bigger, like coming, come around the show, you know? Yeah.
1: Especially with the Disney plus show coming up as we get closer to that, that's just going to skyrocket. Exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Marvel,
3: Marvel has done an exceptional job. You know, I think what, what people may or may not realize is when you have actors like Oscar Isaac and Anthony Mackie. Who went to juilliard uh these are these are theater trained actors mm-hmm. uh who can give you a range of emotions they can give you a range of 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 everything right uh, tom hiddleston tom holland are are british theater actors that's where they started yep. right i mean i mean tom i've been in rooms with tom where he can recite shakespeare from beginning to end like he's incredible uh that's hiddleston. Uh, yeah. so, you know marvel has done an exceptional job of not just bringing in like oh we're going to bring in this actor or that actor
1: they're bringing in very very high quality actors uh, to portray these characters and even when they take the risks on the complete unknowns like people that mm-hmm. no one knows who these people are they do a great job with their casting like they just know how to cast <laughs> for the roles
2: that that article that popped up was like a uh, like Marvel cast two unknowns in Thor Tom Hiddleston and, and Chris Hemsworth it's like oh yeah right. that's hilarious now you know so yeah, you the, mentioned we, uh,
0: Tom Hiddleston yeah, a few times um I I have to ask I did a little bit of digging on your Instagram and yeah. um what was it like riding on Tom Hiddleston's
3: back <laughs> so so obviously not everybody gets to jump on Tom's back uh he, he and I have done quite a few events together over the years I I happen to think that he's probably the most exceptional actor in the, in the MCU. And I think when you look at the film history of all superhero films, the films are really only as great as the villains, right? The, the Absolutely. really, the really uh, you know, when you look at probably the greatest film, which is um, you know, the dark Knight, when you have a uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, mm-hmm. um, probably the greatest villain in, in any of the superhero films there, that's what makes the film, right? Obviously, Christian Bale's Batman is there, but it's it's the Heath Ledger Joker. And when you look at Tom, it's an extraordinary character to play. You're talking about somebody who's very charming and likable, but also kind of stabs everybody in the back, right? So how do you make that? How, right, so how do you make that character likable? Loki is probably the most complex character in terms of personality, uh, in terms of... Uh, the, the context of the universe and playing that character is extraordinarily difficult. And if you look at the Loki character throughout the, 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 Marvel history, and there's, there's a word that Chris Evans uses in every panel that he's ever been at, at an a show. And he always calls Marvel a tapestry, right? And mm-hmm. it's a good word, right? Cause is what a is a tapestry? Word. A tapestry is a blanket, you know, a, a cloth that, that you keep adding squares and you keep adding boxes and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And Tom really exists throughout the entire tapestry yeah. <laughs> of the Marvel universe. And and he kind of binds a lot of it together uh, because of his portrayal of Loki and that character. And the character is so good, they couldn't even leave it alone. They had to do another show on, it,
1: you know? Yep. I mean, he just took the character, made it his own, and just ran with it. Like, he does a phenomenal job with it. So I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but I've never actually been to a convention. Mm -hmm. Um, just one of those things I just never got around to. No need to be ashamed. (laughs) It's on it's on my to-do list. Um, so do you have like any advice for someone in my shoes who's never been to a convention before, things that we should look out for, things we might want to avoid, especially on our first trip, anything like that.
3: You know, I think like any trip or any anything that you do in life, you know, it it all comes I I don't want to say research in the sense that you know you're a librarian and you're doing research, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think you want to do your homework. Um, many, many times I read on message boards, not just for our shows, but other shows, uh, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of like, you know, remember, if you have a good customer experience, 95% of those people don't even bother posting. Right. But if you have a bad experience, 100% of those people post and then everybody chimes in, including people who never even attended the shows. Oh, yeah, I've, I've had more negative comments from people that never attended a show. Oh, I heard this, I heard this, I heard this, but never actually came to the show. And I would say then, listen, if you came to the show and you had a bad something bad, let me know. But if you didn't come to the show, don't, don't, don't post bad negative reviews, right? But it's, it's hard to say that. So I, I think it's always good to do your homework. Find someone who's been to that show. Find someone who's been to that city find out what the hotels are like, find out what the guests are like, find out what the experience is like. You know, we take all, especially at ACE, we take the customer service aspect of it very, very seriously. These shows are not cheap. They're very, very expensive. They're family vacation expenses, right? I mean, people aren't coming for 50 bucks. That's not what it costs. It costs hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars to attend these events. Mm -hmm. In many cases, I've met a lot of attendees and I have, I don't do surveys. I don't do that. I mean, we do surveys and everything, but I actually speak to the customers. There's a lot of people. If you go on our message boards, they speak to me at the show. I like this. I don't like this. Can you fix this? Can you do this? We take that very, very seriously because those are the people that have actually paid and showed up. And you'd be surprised at the income of the people that are spending thousands of dollars at the show. They're not millionaires. They're not multimillionaires. They're regular people with 50 dollars $75,000 a year jobs, and they're spending a few thousand dollars at the show. It's their vacation. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation to first-timers is find someone who's been to the show, find someone who's gone recently, find out what their experiences are, find out what they liked and didn't like. Some shows have a, hem- have a heavy emphasis on panel programming, right? Mm-hmm. We have about 25 hours of programming at ACE. Our motto at ACE was, less is more we want to do less panels higher quality this net. there are shows with 500 hours of paneling right Mm -hmm. and it's a totally different experience than ace it doesn't make it better or worse it's just different if you're a person who likes to go to many 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 panels you might come to ace and be like ah you know what ace isn't really for me because i like to go to 50 panels a weekend totally cool right there are there are there are um There are shows that emphasize different fan genres, right? Mm -hmm. There's a Vampire Diaries show that Creation runs. It's a great show if you love Vampire Diaries. If you love Vampire Diaries, I would not expect to see you at Ace, (laughs) right? So do some research. Find out what the experience is like, what it it is. Talk to people who have gone to the show. And I, I think you'll get your best information from people who have actually attended that show in that city or that promoter in a different city.
1: Oh, that's good to know there's a lot of things in there I'm like probably wouldn't have thought about like thinking about like the panels and stuff I would just assume oh well they're gonna have panels so I'll just go check out what they got wouldn't have even thought about that
2: so conversely I've been to a lot of shows (laughs) you know I've been to big panel heavy shows I've been to uh, book heavy shows in like the the corner the banquet hall of a hotel you know that kind of thing Um, so what what advice would you give to somebody returning, especially in this climate where it's like, we haven't been at a con in a year and a half, you know, like you're looking for deals or looking for certain books. Like, what would you, what would you like just recommend for somebody in that situation?
3: Yeah. You know, a lot of times I've noticed that the, the, the con regulars, they, they sort of are, are so far advanced, right. They're so far ahead of everybody. It's almost like uh you know you're you're too smart for your own good right
0: yeah. like oh
3: this should start on time or this should be this or this should be this. and you almost get to the point where it's like you, you expect perfection and you know it just doesn't happen right you're dealing with people you're dealing with scheduling you're dealing Especially with flights you're dealing <laughs> with car service you're dealing with normal life things and what i try to tell people at the show and one thing that ace always did was we have a lot of customer service people on site yeah and they're not sitting in a room Where you have to like oh i have a problem i got to go to that room in that corner and go find somebody and wait in line with 50 people to to talk to somebody about my problem because by the time i might resolve my problem maybe i could have fixed it but now i can't fix it because the person who i needed to see is gone or you know maybe maybe i i missed out on five other things that i wanted to do because i was waiting in line and now i missed the panel or i missed something else
2: Mm -hmm.
3: our customer service team floats on the floor actually are on the floor physically. That's actually
2: and brilliant. what I
3: what I what I try to tell people is, you know, be patient, make a schedule, be patient, be flexible. Be flexible. Uh that, you know, the panel might start at four, you have a photo op at five, you have a this at six, you have this at five thirty, you're gonna go eat dinner, you're gonna go this and that. And I could tell you walking into the show, anyone who's been to a show, anyone like yourself who's been to many, many shows, it's never perfect. It's never on time. It just isn't <laughs> no,
2: it's not. even,
3: even at the best, most well-run, perfect, standing, whatever shows, it just never, it's never perfect. It just isn't. And I think the more shows you go to the higher expectations you have in your brain of, Oh, it's just going to work flawlessly. Um, and I, and I just, you know, I make sure that our customer service people are floating on the floor to help people not to panic, not to flip out, not to, not to go crazy. Tom Holland, I know, you, I know you were supposed to see him at two o'clock. He had, to, he had to go eat. He had to go to the bathroom. He's a person. He's going to be back. We're going to make sure you get your autograph. We're going to make sure you get your photo op. We stream all the panels so you don't have to miss the panels if you're waiting in line. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on your iPhone. So we took a lot of that stuff into account when we created Ace. But like with any show, there's always going to be issues. You just have to be flexible with your schedules. And, and usually, if you're flexible... And, and, and the company has a good service. I mean, there's a lot of good shows out there, not just Ace. I mean, I know the guys at left field. They run great shows. Like, if you have an issue at left field, they'll fix it for you. Like, they will fix it for you as long as you talk to the right people and, and you have the right attitude.
2: Yeah, I've, I've been lucky. Uh, you know, it's funny you were, you were talking about the expectations. because uh, So my wife, her name is Jen, uh, went with me to a con a couple of years ago, right after our second son was born. And she had really not been before uh and when we go to places together like amusement parks my wife starts to get a little crabby after a little while she you know doesn't want to hang out anymore so i call her amusement park jen that's when she hits that point point. and i was like just to be just to be fair to you you're gonna meet comic-con mike i i'm very driven i have a schedule <laughs> and if you get left behind i'm sorry but you have <laughs> your phone you just text me i'll find you so so yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right with the with the expectations and stuff like that.
0: So uh, I, just to kind of tie up this uh, talk about everyone's experience at, at cons, um, like we were talking about in the very beginning, you have probably produced more cons than anybody ever, you know, and you're you're getting pop culture icons to to come through every time, um, writers, artists. So you know you're you're pulling in all these people, and the experience is great for everyone who comes, how do you try and push the envelope for yourself to make each con, uh, you know, that much better each time?
3: You know, I, I think it, it's it's hard to just say we wanna have a better show each time because at some point, you know, you, you're gonna, you, you know, there's always gonna be people who are gonna be like, oh, I, I mean, I remember after after our Chicago show, we announced our Boston show and it was like, Oh, they jumped the shark. They did this. They did that. I'm like, guys, patience, patience. Like we're always trying to do something different. The the good thing for us is that there's an influx of new film and TV all the time. Yeah. Uh, Now, obviously there wasn't last year, but that was unusual. But if there wasn't the pandemic last year, there would have been an influx of talent uh, doing new, new television and new film. Mm -hmm. So it's always fresh in the sense that like, okay, we brought Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and this one and this one to this show. Well, maybe we could do a different combination at the next show. Like we had planned for Boston before we had to cancel the Boston show. Like we had Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. Like they had never appeared together. Like Ewan had never appeared at a show before, um, you know, and whether it was, you know, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans appearing together, you know, like, and, and with Tom Hiddleston, like the three of them, they hadn't appeared together since Philly. And that was a long time ago. So uh, I think before we ever before we would do each show, we would kind of sit down and say, OK, what are people talking about? What can we do that's fresh? What can we do that's different? And there might be some parts of it that are the same, but the entirety of it will be different. Right. Um, we we always had a, a way of doing things where it was like, I think what you see in a lot of shows or what I used to see over the years is. I just call it laziness, right? Where you start to see, oh, we're just going to book these 10 people and we're going to book them 15 times and they're just going to appear at the same shows. And, you know, and and then it it's almost looks like homogenous, right? Like every show on the calendar looks the same, right? And I always say to people, if you went to a website and you just had a list of the guests, okay, just the guest list of who's going to appear at the show, how many shows could you pick out and say, oh, that's an ace show. Our shows you could pick out in two seconds, right? Because if you saw a guest list that said Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Tom Hiddleston, Hugh McGregor, you know, this one, this one, this one, you'd say, oh, that's an A show. That's what we wanted, right? When you look at a lot of the other shows and you look at the guest list, you look at them and you're like, that could be anybody. It could be this show in this city. It could be this show in this city. It could be this promoter in that city. And I think the concept was we wanted some consistency. We wanted people to know that it was an A show. But at the same time, we needed to switch it up a little bit. So maybe it's Chris Evans and you know Tom Hiddleston with Lizzie Olsen at this show and maybe it's Chris Evans with Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackey at that show and maybe it's Chris Evans and Tom Holland and this one at that show. so that it's always a little bit different. You get a little something different each time
1: kind of rolling off of that, like changing con landscape sort of thing. Um, obviously this past year has been very difficult for a lot of people and things have had to adapt in very unique ways. Uh, do you see like the whole uh, con landscape moving forward, changing in any so- significant ways? Do you think that's going to stick with more like a hybrid model, kind of like how San Diego comic Con's working this year, or do you think it'll eventually just go back to the way it was? Um,
3: I-, I think there will be a hybrid model. I think there are certain people that have just sort of accepted that, you know, certain things are changing. And that's just kind of the way it is going to be. Um, There are certain things that we used to do that now we look at and like, that was really, really difficult, or that was really problematic, or that was really hard to pull off. And Mm -hmm. I think you're going to start to see the stuff that was really, really difficult and hard to pull off, whether it was logistically or financially or whatever. I think a lot of shows are going to sort of try not to do those things as much as possible. And then there are things that we found that were easier to do that will add, will be beneficial to the experience that are not that hard to do. And so I I think you're going to lose some things. I think you're going to gain some other things. I do think that there's a hybrid model. But remember, ACE was always a hybrid model. You know, we were always Mm -hmm. streaming from day one, we were the only live streaming. As a matter of fact, When I worked at Wizard World, we were the first ones to live stream a panel ever. We live streamed the 2014 or 15 Matt Smith panel uh, in Philadelphia. And and I remember having those first conversations about live streaming and the agencies were dead set against it. They're like, what live streaming? They're like, no, that's like television. "They, they, they, They didn't understand that. They didn't understand what streaming was. And I actually had a friend at the time at WWE who walked me through. Uh, the rights and how you get them and what, what it takes to do them because WWE was the first streaming company of all the companies in terms of the celebrity, in terms of the celebrity streaming panels and things like that. WWE, when they started that network, that was, that was, remember, it was transformative when they did it. Everyone thought they were crazy. They were taking all their pay-per-views offline and putting them on this, um, you know, on the streaming network for 999 a month. You remember all those commercials.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
3: God. They were the first ones to do that. So, uh, he walked me through a lot of the rights and the usages, and it was not an easy conversation to have at the time. And so we've been live streaming since, I think, 2015. So at Ace, that was day one we were streaming. So I think now everyone's mm-hmm. sort of catching on, like, hey, we need to stream. We need to do hybrid. We need to do virtual. We need to do this. We need to do that. So I do think you're going to see, uh, and now that, that again, Zoom and all these, even what we're doing now has become so do-it-yourself-at-home-ish, right? that a lot of the cons that were maybe they were sort of frightened by doing it or it was like, Oh my God, how are we going to do that? It's expensive. It's this, it's that. I think they're looking at it like, Oh, it's like a zoom. Like we could just put it up there and do it. So I, I do think you're going to start to see more hybrid models. Um, I do think you're going to see some changes that you like. There might be some changes that you don't like, but I think it's all in, in the essence of being able to still deliver you a product in a way that is still financially responsible for the promoters.
2: So, you were saying how like you walk the floor like a lot, uh, which is which I think is is great because y- you don't know things unless you're out there with the people. Right. So what is the craziest thing that you've just like kind of witnessed out on the floor that you're just like, oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Like there'd be just like a parade of Deadpools just running by. Cause I know those guys do that kind of thing like all the time uh, or just like a bunch of Spider-Man. And it's just you just don't expect it. And then, boom, there it is.
3: Yeah, there's been a lot of fun stuff over the years. I was in New Orleans one year and they did like a Mardi Gras parade across the floor. That was wild. Uh, they would, had, like oh, a, ma- had like a marching band. And I, I don't even know if they were, if they bought tickets to the show or they were just cosplay <laughs> fans, but we didn't even stop them. They were just marching around singing. And, and then I remember when we had Tom Hiddleston the first time in 2016 Philly, uh, there was like a whole group of Loki cosplayers and they were marching around and they were like chanting and doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I think to me, the biggest, the biggest kick I get is watching the cosplayers, right? There's, there's always yeah. some great stuff. Um, you know, there's a guy in St. Louis that they, they he goes by Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, he's a dead ringer for Johnny Depp. If you ever look him up, uh, he's a dead ringer for Johnny Depp and he does the whole drunken, you know, sailor yeah. thing. So <laughs> I, I always get blown away by the cosplayers. I, I think the costumes, the not, not just like I'm dressed up in a costume, but the de- the attention to detail oh, yeah. and how seriously they take it and how great they, the great a job they do on it. Um, I'm always impressed by what I see on the cosplay side of things.
2: Yeah. Like I have no visual artistic ability whatsoever. And I like see God, no. some of these costumes. There's one, it was like a horror-based costume, and it, I swear it was like 10 feet tall. And I was like, I don't even know where you would even start building something like that. And it's just insane. And just like the little details, like the hairs on the arms of the costume. I'm just like, man, I wouldn't even thought of that. It, no, it's, it's truly
0: impressive. It's absolutely nuts, man. Like, you see this stuff. and Sometimes I'll watch, like, the process videos. You know, people do these things, like, you know, time yeah. lapses. And I mean, especially with the 3D printing now, you know, so much stuff is... Yeah is available but it's just absolutely incredible
3: yeah for sure for
0: sure um so just to kind of make a big shift here um yeah. <laughs> today today is uh you know the 23rd uh the day that batman 1989 came out um it was a huge you know cultural phenomenon at the time especially marketing wise um and i you know as a as a marketing person i i just wanted to get your take on what you remember about that time um how and just how it impacted you
3: yeah i I do remember that the choice of michael keaton was panned like every like heath ledger was panned like christian Bale was panned, like everybody else was panned along the way always will be and uh and then you know michael keaton became a lot of people's batman right like he he is their batman Batman. Um, and obviously again going back to what i said at the very beginning you have jack nicholson as the joker and that that made, again, that sort of, I don't want to say stole the show, but that was really, again, it, was, it all comes down to the villain, right? The villains make the film. You need a good adversary uh, to, to make the film, somebody to antagonize uh, the, the, the lead character. Um, I do remember the film. We were very, very close to DC at that time. Uh, I remember I had a lot of friends at DC. It was very exciting at that time. They were very, very excited for the film. Um, And the, and the film really delivered and it really performed. I think, again, I think the most memorable, memorable part of the film was really Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker. Uh, I think when you look back at a lot of these films, I think you, you remember the villains uh, more than you remember the heroes. And, and, and although, you know, obviously like Chris Evans, you know, like everybody remembers Chris and they remember, you know, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. But I mean, but like Thanos, like Josh Brolin as Thanos, like that's, that's what ultimately makes the great film great. Right. I mean, that's what makes yeah, the film definitely. great because if that if that character falls flat, it really doesn't matter. The other performances.
0: Yeah. Mike, you want to let let Stephen know the the golden rule that you have. Oh, for villains. Oh,
2: yeah. So we have a uh, me and, my, me and my, one of my best friends have have a have a theory. And it's been so far pr- relatively proven that the actor for the villain has to be a much better actor than the actor for the hero. So it's it just like there's more there's more pathos in the villain and like i think like um toby Maguire and alfred molina in spider-man 2 alfred molina is a much better actor than toby Maguire, and that's not to disrespect toby Maguire in any way shape or form but alfred molina's doc ock was transformative at the time you know it was just like you looked at villain and you were like oh man i understand him a little bit there's a little bit of heartbreak in there and as good as Toby Maguire is, he's not really as good at the time as Alfred Molina was.
3: Well, in a lot, look, when it comes to playing a, vi- a villain, they're usually multidimensional, right? Because it's like, what made them bad? People aren't, you know, you don't just grow up and be like, hey, I'm going to be a bad guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So something, something causes that, that sociopath or whatever that behavior is in their mind. And I think that's why a movie like The Joker, you know, just won an Academy Award, you know, yeah you know uh, Joaquin Phoenix because they're taking you on a journey from like you know how did person how did this person get from here to here it's a different journey than the hero's journey
2: yeah so absolutely
1: so sticking with this theme of movies and stuff uh, obviously last year was the first year since 2008 we hadn't gotten a single Marvel movie which is a thing in itself. Uh, but now in about two weeks, we have Black Widow releasing. So, what would you say is uh, a comic book movie that's releasing either like sometime this year, maybe early next year, that you're really looking forward to seeing?
3: I think Shang-Chi is gonna be transformative Hell yeah. in the way that you saw Wonder Woman and Black Panther be transformative. Um, I don't know that it's gonna be able to beat Black Panther at the box office. Um, it certainly mm-hmm. should, you know, so I don't know if there's gonna be enough theaters open, although when you look at the Asian market, it might only because the Asian market is so large. Um, but it will most certainly beat the Wonder Woman box office. And I, I think that that's, you know, when you when you look at the most transformative films over the recent past, those are really the films that stand out. It's really Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Right. Those yeah. are the two. Mm-hmm. Those are the two films that changed people's perception of uh, of what a. Um, what a global box office uh, blockbuster looks like and should be and and what the cast can do. You know, when you look at, when you look at Wonder Woman, right, you had Gal Gadot, you had this Israeli immigrant, uh, you know, and again, you got to think of the immigration and and what was going on in our, in our culture at the time who spoke with a little bit of an accent. Her English has a little Mm -hmm. bit of an accent and they didn't make her speak. Without her accent, she speaks with her accent, right? She's an Amazonian warrior princess who grows up in a land of other Amazonian warrior princesses, and she's transported into the United States at a time when you know, uh, you know, w- when you know, women were 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 subservient to men, and at no point does she change her her way, right? She's still the Amazonian warrior princess, and she still thinks of herself as as equal as anyone else. And, and it was a the themes of that film were, were quite extraordinary, which is why it people responded to it. And then Black Panther, to me, was more of a, a religious film in the sense that you have this, uh, and Ryan Coogler was a master of this. It's very, very difficult. And when you talk about the tapestry, he did all of this mm-hmm. in one film, right? You have brother versus <laughs> yeah. brother. Brother versus brother, right? Doesn't get better than that. OK, and the brother is Michael B. Jordan. Right. So he he's he's great in his own right. Then you have OK, you have tribe versus tribe. OK, well, now there's an outside threat. And now you have the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. So you've got all these sort of religious themes running throughout the film that Ryan Kugler sort of wove together. Uh, and then again, culturally, it made an impact. You know, African-American people around the world had a had a had a cast and a theme that they could rally behind. But remember, the movie did $1.4 billion. Yep. It, w- it wasn't just African-American people that saw this film. It was mm-hmm. global. And that's what happened with Wonder Woman, and I expect the same thing to happen to Shang-Chi.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to Shang-Chi. I've read a lot of those those comics over time, and uh, it's just, like I'm not sure exactly which, which story they're in they're going to really hunker down and grab, but I'm excited to see uh, kind of where it goes. Um, so when what made you decide to start doing a podcast and video series because we like so we have a website and the idea of the website was satiric uh, superheroes in satirical situations you know And we were just like oh yeah we can do some videos and maybe we'll do a podcast here or there meanwhile we've done this podcast off and on for like four years and it's become like our 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 main thing so what made you go yeah this is this is the thing that i, I want to do So
3: I think at heart, uh, I'm sort of a collector, right? Like, like I collect things, I collect posters, I collect comic books, I collect stuff. And, you know, inevitably, you know, I actually liked to walk around our show. If you actually look around online, there's a lot of selfies that people take with me on the show floor. Um, I actually like to walk around the floor. I like to buy stuff. I like to collect stuff. I like to get stuff. So people would talk to me, and it wasn't always like, oh, you know, what, what are you doing at the next show? Or what are you doing this? It would be co- turn into a collecting conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Jim Cramer on CNBC. I don't know if any of you watched Jim Cramer on CNBC. But he's sort of like, um, he talks about stocks and pick yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. stocks. and things it, like that. It, yeah. If you Google Jim Cramer on CNBC, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's anyway. Animated. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very animated. Very, right, very animated. So um, people used to tell me at the show all the time, like, hey, you should start a podcast. I heard that. 15 to 20 times at every show. I'd start talking to dealers, I would talk to fans, I would talk to collectors, I would talk to other people, and they'd be like, hey, you should start a podcast. Like, you really know. Like, I don't want to say they didn't expect me to know, but maybe they just thought I was a show runner as a guy who ran shows and that was the end of it. But the fact that I collected stuff just like everybody else, and I think that helps in the way that we pick out what we're gonna do at the shows. Um, so everyone used to tell me that. So obviously when the pandemic hit, I had a lot of free time. So I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to start a podcast. People said I should start a podcast. So I kind of tried to use the framework of Jim Cramer uh, in terms of talking about, you know, the comic books and what they mean. And, and Alex Ray is my co-host and he's somebody who I've worked with for six or seven years uh, at my old company I'm, and, and Ace. And uh, we just have a lot of fun with it. And then uh, we started a new podcast and then that podcast got recognized. And then I started on a new podcast called Life's Tough um, because they wanted me to interview industry people that I knew. So I just started that podcast. So I'm doing two podcasts right now. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a hectic schedule, <laughs> and uh, so so that's what's going on. And you found I was, time, I was time gonna for ask. us? Yeah, sure, absolutely.
2: <laughs> I always <laughs> have <laughs> gonna... time.
3: I always have time. I was,
2: I was also going to ask where you found the time because you know I, I listened to uh, a couple episodes of Life's Tough and uh, and I listened to Taking a Break. And I, honestly, I like like the chemistry that you and Alex have. I think it's a very very fun listen. But I was like, man, I just like i mean i do i do our twist cast and then i do a weekly comics show and i'm like i'm just gassed i'm like i don't know how you're i'll come on your for-
3: comic show too what are you talking yeah. about on
2: your comic show i i usually talk it's weekly so i talk about uh everything that's released that week it's just reviews but oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll gladly find some time for you to do, just do an interview about something a story a story that you like a creative team okay. that you like anything like that
1: fair enough fair enough sticking with the whole collectibles thing um what would you say is probably the best collectible you've come across at one of the shows like something that you just had like basically stopped doing your tracks and you're like i want that
3: you know I, I love to me i love the uh the movie props and the stuff like that mm. so whenever i see stuff that was uh film used um usually you see it during the auction houses not necessarily at the shows mm-hmm. sometimes heritage will show up with some of this stuff at our first show on long island we had uh, metropolis they brought in uh, the first appearance of Superman, they brought in uh, all the characters that we had at the show, Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, they brought in all the first appearances, Metropolis did, mm-hmm. um, those were remarkable. I mean, absolutely remarkable. And the funny thing is, that was 2017, the prices have probably doubled or tripled from that time. Sure, Because sure. uh, Vinny had the, num- had the top copy of Action 1 and they brought oh, in yeah. Action 1, I think they brought in Superman 1, they brought in Detective 27, they brought in Wonder Woman 1, Sensation Comics. So like, they were in all the stuff that stuff was remarkable and then some of the some of the the screen used memorabilia and props um are also very very impressive when people have that stuff so so you've been collecting all your life
0: what's what's the one thing that you just absolutely would never let go like someone's here's any amount of money give me this thing and you would just stand your
3: ground and say no i'm trying to think what i have you know Uh, There's one piece of art that I don't see myself selling. And I just happened to know him and I was friendly with him. So Jock did the cover. I I have a pretty decent artwork collection. It's actually posted online on Comic Art Fans. And um, Jock did the cover for uh, Detective 880. And that's that Joker cover with the bats as the face. And I remember Mm -hmm. uh, seeing the solicitation for it. And I emailed Jock and I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, this cover looks pretty cool. You know, can I buy it from you? And he's like, yeah, he's like, no problem. I'll quote you this price. And then I said, okay, great. I'll take it. And then, you know, I, I, it was so many years. Ago, it was 10 years ago. I probably had to mail him a check. I don't even remember. I have mail him a check. <laughs> I don't remember. It was 10 years ago. And then the next day he emails me. He's like, dude, he's like, I got an offer for like 50% more or 75% more than what I sold it to you. He's like, but I promised it to you. So I'm going to sell it to you. And <laughs> In the last couple of years, because I put on comic art fans, I've gotten some crazy offers. I mean, like 25, 30 times what I paid for. it. Whoa. Um, it's just such an extraordinary piece of art. It's like, you know, there's there's always like a couple of pieces of art that sort of define a generation. Uh, whether it's Todd McFarlane's, you know, Spider-Man covers, oh, you know, so the, the, the 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 328 cover, mm-hmm. the the, uh, the Hulk punching. Cover. I can't remember. It was 326, 328 where he's punching the Hulk the Spider-Man one cover, the Jim Lee X-Men one cover. There's sort of these covers that sort of transcend Frank Miller's Dark Knight one cover. Yeah, Um, And that jock cover, I think, from the 2010s, uh, 2000 aughts, uh, is is probably the number one cover.
0: That's the one that's just all white, right? And then it just has the Joker with like a bat bats as a face right and they're just yeah it's bats as a face
3: and when you see the original art it looks way better than than even what's printed because you could see all the bats and how he drew each individual one when it's blown down on the cover you kind of lose a little bit of it so
0: i I feel like people kind of forget when they look at these pieces of of art that it's someone drew this you know (laughs) like there's so much to be done on a computer and and things are a lot easier if you want them to be now, but this isn't what people are doing for the most part for these, you know, iconic pieces of, of art, these comic book covers, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible, you know, just to hear. Yeah. He went and drew all those little freaking bats on (laughs) like, you know, But, but you know, you
3: know, it's one thing to draw it. It's another thing to have come up with the idea to draw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, okay. you know, remember, you know, Joe Casada told me a long time ago. He's like, you know, when we talked about penciling versus inking, he goes, you know, when you're penciling, you have a, a and I'm paraphrasing here because it was 15 years ago. When you when you draw when you're drawing a cover, it's blank. It's a blank page. So you have to pencil it. Well, well, you know, what what angle are you going to do? How are you is it going to be a fighting pose? Is it going to be an action pose? And he's like, that has to come from up here. Yeah. And then you have to pencil it. He goes, once the inker has it, you know, the, the inkers are very, very talented, but the penciling is already laid out, right? So it's a different skill set. Um, but the penciler has to originate the concept in many cases.
2: Which is a reason I love splash pages, because like, like you just turn a page and there's just something just completely blowing your mind. You're like, I never thought that I'd see this like this. And you're just like, these guys are just absolutely insane guys and girls yeah
3: joe, joe casada is the master i mean yeah. i don't i don't know that there's anyone better over the last 25 years uh, again i i didn't live back in the 60s but I'm, in the last 20 25 years i don't know that there's anybody better than casada at those splash type pages
2: yeah and, and his covers are, are pretty nice too like i remember um i'm a huge spider nerd so when he was doing those covers those, i think it was variant covers for one more day uh, a few years back, like they were just, they were just mind blowing. It's like, my God, like, like I almost wish this guy would do less EIC work and more, more art again. Cause like you just forget. And it's like, he has not lost a step. Uh, so I did want to ask, like, do you have like a, a favorite writer or artist or creative team that you like to book, uh, at, at, at shows?
3: So we, we like to mix it up in every shows, um, my favorite is Larry Hama. I don't know if you follow him on Facebook. Larry's like a legend. He kind of like knows he's a legend. But he kind of like, he's got, he's one of those guys. He like, he kind of knows he's great. He knows that everybody thinks he's great. He's very cool. Uh, Larry's my favorite. I love bringing Larry to the shows. Uh, he, he He's awesome. Um, but we do try to mix it up at every shows. We'll We'll look at what books are coming out. We'll talk to the agents. We'll talk to the managers. We'll talk, we'll find out what books are hot. Um, And then we do try to have a good mix of generational, of diversity, and and we try to make sure that we have something for everyone, whether it's an indie publisher or Marvel or DC. Um, You know, our shows are all about, you know, high quality. I think a a problem, a complaint that I used to get at my old company, uh, and, and I used to see it at some of the other events, is that there were a lot of people swiping art or amateur artists. Now that's not to say that you can't have amateur artists at your show, but it's like, you have to be working for a company. It doesn't have to be Marvel or DC, but you have to be working on a professional book on a professional company. So we actually turned down a lot of people to come to artist alley. We turned down vendors because we didn't want to have five guys selling the same thing because then, you know, then you're, then everybody's just hurting each other. Uh, So, so we were all about kind of, you know, keeping it smaller. I think our artist alley topped out at 125. Uh, artists yeah. writers and illustrators and we would bring in cartoonists we would bring in animators like phil ortiz mm-hmm. like we would bring in you know uh you know people that were double threats like afua richardson where she could write and she could draw like you know C- colleen duran who could write and draw right. so like we we always try to mix it up at every show give you something different but uh, larry is definitely my favorite mm-hmm. he's a real character yeah.
0: Um, Mike did you right. want to start with the lightning round
2: yeah yeah i know we're getting a little short on time here okay oh, okay so, so uh, everybody feel free to weigh in here it's it's real fun uh it should be pretty simple so uh, i'm gonna give you two things and you just tell me which which you want ready Okay. so go ahead. as far as comics marvel or dc comics
1: hmm
3: i i grew up on dc but it's mostly marvel right now
1: Yes, I I love them both, but I'm more of a DC fan. I love like the deeper, darker stories that they tend to have, um, and just I love just like the cosmic, like sort of like hugeness of the heroes and stuff, and like
2: the godlike powers of them all. It's it, it's just fun. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go Marvel. Cool. Uh, so cinematic universes: MCU or DCEU?
3: Oh my god, that's that's tricky Ooh. because we we've done you know. When you turn, talk about iconic, you know, I don't know that, that anybody touches Gal, right? In terms of, we call it a halo effect.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: When you walk in the room and like there's something special going on there, Gal has that, Brie Larson has that, um, it, it's, it's cross it's cross company. I don't, I don't know that you can put your finger on it. It's like saying, you know, what movie had a bigger impact, Black Panther, Wonder Woman or Shang-Chi? I think they're all <laughs> massive.
1: That's it. That's I don't know that you can answer that straight up.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, I'm gonna go with MCU for for myself.
1: Uh, as far as like entertainment value, I really, really want to say DC, but MCU is just blown out of the water with what they've been doing. Yeah,
2: I, I mean the fact that they wove together like 24 movies or something like that is it, just it is it is pretty crazy. All I, right, uh, just,
0: I just wanted to point out right now I'd something I just noticed we we have the three the three of us mike mike Jesse and myself here with no 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 stakes whatsoever for answering <laughs> this or that question and then we have steven here who's like who has yeah. mcu and dc people like looking for at him sure. <laughs> right
3: for sure no for uh, sure. what
0: uh, what is steven like oh mcu cool yeah. Ben Affleck's not coming <laughs> to <his> next <laughs> one. right i hear you
2: uh, batman or superman
3: hmm i tell you The first movie I saw growing up was my Christopher Reeve Superman. Christopher Reeve Superman, to me, I don't know that I can get that image ever out of my head. So.
2: Yeah, he kind of was perfect, right? Like the dichotomy between Clark and Superman. And there was like, people are like, oh, there's no way you should be able to figure out. You should be able to figure it out like that. And then you're like, you watch the portrayal, like the slumped shoulders and the timid nature of his Clark versus the bombasty of his Superman, it was just, it was just. And no CGI, no CGI.
1: Nope. nope. I got to go with Batman. I just find him to be a little bit more of an interesting character, but that's just my personal preference. Yep,
0: I'm Ongo- going Batman as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I-, I love both of them. Different eras, very fun. Uh, Avengers or X Men?
3: That's interesting. You know, we had we had Michael Fassbender at the show, and he's a real character. This yeah. guy is great. He's, um, he does seem. Imagine. Cool. He, he he's great. Him him and and um and uh oh my god, I'm losing Professor X, uh, James McAvoy. McAvoy, McAvoy. right? <laughs> McAvoy, no McAvoy. <laughs> yes, by, by Patrick Stewart and, and then those movies were so good. Um but you know the Avengers are, are the Avengers are sort of like where we're at now, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh I just love the diversity of the X Men and how they can tell a lot of like different like minorities type of stories with it. Um that's just kinda of, really resonates with me being a minority myself
0: <laughs> i guess i guess all my life i i was x-men up until you know they started coming out with the avengers movies so i'd say in the grand scheme of things uh i'd, I'd be more of an x-men fan
2: yeah i think x-men were like my second team overall it was fantastic i think you're, you're gonna see
3: him in the you're gonna see him in the mcu soon probably
0: anyway, soon anyway, enough so yeah
2: exactly know. soon enough uh
3: modern age or
2: golden age hmm
3: um, I would probably say, believe it or not, I, I like the Copper Age I, I, that, because that's what Ooh. I grew up on. Uh, that's sort of the McFarlane, Jim Lee era mm-hmm. of comics, Death of Death of Robin, you know, all those main st- secret <laughs> wars, all those storylines. You know, they're using a lot of those storylines. Yeah. Titans. In the film. They're, they're, t- they're touching that. Yeah. Right. You know, they're, they're using all that stuff. So to me, to me, I find that the stuff that I like the best is the Copper Age stuff.
1: Yeah, Mike, I think I'm going to break your question and I'll just go with that. Because like, when I think comics, that's basically what I yeah. tend to think of.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> that's cool. Hey, it's fine. This or that. Uh, deep dish or thin crust?
1: Oh, I like thin
3: crust. I don't eat too much pizza. I'm a pretty healthy guy. But thin crust, <laughs> I like that. I prefer
1: that. Uh, I'm going to have to go deep dish. And there's something nice about thin crust. Just like hearing that crunch. It's nice. Thin
2: crust is nice, but I went to Chicago once and I had deep dish and it blew my mind.
1: Yeah, the Chicago I, one
2: by Rosemont is very good. Oh, so nice.
1: I, that's like, I want to go to Chicago just Please for do. that.
2: Please do. Uh, hiking or biking?
1: <sighs> you see, I hate you for this one, but I love <laughs> them both. Those are like my two main outdoor things. <laughs> but even though it tends to break my body more often, I'm going to go with the biking. <laughs> I'm going to say
3: neither. I actually box and I do Ooh. Tabata and Ooh. I do Hit.
2: Nice. Okay. Nice. So I don't, I don't bike and I don't hike.
0: <laughs> but I do the other
2: three. It's a nice item.
0: I'm going to go tough. hiking. It's yeah. tough.
2: What'd would, would you say, Sam? I'm going to go hiking. Okay. Okay. Uh, not now. Th- but- no, no, of course not. <laughs> Please don't. We're in the middle of something here. Uh, Thor's <laughs> hammer or Iron Man's suit?
3: Oh, that's pretty cool. Um,
2: probably Thor's hammer, I would say. I think people like
3: to smash stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like more fun to smash things
1: it does i'm more of a techie though so i gotta go with the suit like it just sounds awesome to start flying around in that thing
0: yeah i'm, I'm gonna go to the suit as well because that, it
2: just always changes and that I, I get bored very easily so <laughs> I, i'd go hammer i'd go hammer i agree for steven here uh digital or physical comics oh
3: i like physical i agree i i i like I, look i have a friend steve Boar who runs cbcs And and he'll smell the comics and he'll be like, I like the smell, by the way, if you smell a golden age or silver age comic, they have a certain smell to them. The paper actually does smell a certain way. And he, I would actually see him at shows and he'd be like this. I'd be like, really? And, uh, now I don't do that. I don't do that, but there is something to it. Um, and again, maybe that's just nostalgic for me.
0: No, it's, it's totally true because I'm a big, uh, Facebook marketplace finder of of comic books. Um, people just, you know, especially during the pandemic, they're just looking to clear house, literally, um, things that they've been holding on to for decades. And my wife always finds these like gold mines of of old comic books, just in like a shoebox. You, you know, was not open for 20 years at least um and you just open it up and it just you're right it just has that smell it has a smell and you know that smell if (laughs) i I closed
3: your eyes and i put it there you would be able to tell what that smell is (laughs) oh
1: yeah yep There is something nice about physical stuff but i just love the convenience of digital and just how easy it is to just like whip out my phone and start reading a comic
0: yeah if i if i was still commuting every day i would definitely say digital but nah physical (laughs) has
1: has just been there
2: (laughs) uh dark side or thanos
1: Oh, Thanos, come on. What I like about Darkseid, though, is that he always just seems like that looming presence in the background that you know he's there. He's doing something in the background, but you don't always see what he's up to. And I, I love Darkseid. Yeah, Dark Side. yeah a lot of ta- it, it, it's
0: like four levels until you get to Darkseid of like <laughs> shit you don't want to go through. I don't know. Josh
2: Brolin, come on, Josh Brolin. Oh, oh, yeah. His portrayal yeah, was Josh amazing. Thanos is pretty nice, but I'm, I've always been a Darkseid guy. Yeah, character uh, overall yeah uh and final question here jesse's gonna hate me magic or science i do (laughs) yeah
1: so i mean i'm a man of science (laughs) but i love me some magic so i gotta go the magic
3: (laughs) um i i I, if you're if you're asking like hulk dr strange kind of a thing yeah uh banner strange uh you know benedict i mean come on yeah you know benedict versus cgi i like uh you, know, yeah. you gotta take benedict benedict yeah. is the man he's
2: oh, great he's so i love to meet man.
1: him oh my god
2: <laughs> um i'm gonna go science sounds good sounds good uh so hey that's uh that's basically everything we got uh that you know we don't want to run too much time here we've taken a good amount of your time and we're very appreciative for it so do you want to plug your stuff real quick your show yeah, we have
3: uh yeah we have a take a break with steven Uh, That comes out every Wednesday. And then we have Life's Tough, Superheroes Are Tougher. And that comes out every Friday. You can just Google, uh, they're they're long URLs. You can just Google Life's Tough or or take a break uh, with Steven and uh, those podcasts will come up. And then obviously Ace Comic Con, we're doing a lot of private signings right now. Uh, We're not 100% sure when the next uh, live event is going to be. Um, but but you can still get your stuff autographed through these mail order ways. And we're still getting a lot of the A-list celebrities that you would expect to see at Ace. So
2: awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, man, you, you guys come through Philly. We'll we'll absolutely swing by and hopefully catch you on the floor. I love the market. Those chocolate chip cookies <laughs> at the market get me every oh, yeah. single terminal?
1: time. Yeah. I mean, just the market in general is amazing. But the chocolate
3: yeah. chip cookie factory. You know which one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what they put in these cookies. I don't I gotta, know what's
2: going on over there. I got to tell but, uh, you, Reading Terminal, Terminal Market is one of the most dangerous places uh, on this planet because there's <laughs> so much different kind of food the there, and, the it's, and it's all phenomenal.
1: The the best, the Amish barbecue stands. Uh, oh my God! The, so the cool.
3: chicken stand there. I think they slaughter the chick the chi- the turkey. I'm sorry, the ticket, the turkey place. You know, the fresh turkey. I, they yeah. must slaughter the turkeys in the back and bring out the turkey <laughs> five it's, minutes later. It's so fresh. So I f- don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they get it so fresh, but well, thank no. you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for
1: joining us. All
3: right. All right. Have a good night guys.